hello, hello, New Haven, and welcome back to Arts Respond. It's been a little minute, and so I'm really glad that I am back with you today and with two champions of trans rights and advocacy, um, whose names are known across the state, probably across the country too. I think it's it's different places around the country. I think that's safe. To, I'm just going to go with it. I think that's safe to say. Um, and while it might be dark and rainy and weirdly warm because of impending climate disaster outdoors, it is very bright in here. And so I'm really um, excited to welcome on Kirlo Stacklow and Carly Chardonnay Webb. Um, both of you have been on the airwaves with me before, so I'm really excited to welcome you back. And I'm excited for what we're talking about today, which is an effort that uh, both of you are working on to bring Trans Day of Remembrance observances, not celebrations, which we'll talk about because when people say, how are you celebrating? Um, I always feel very weird about that, um, but observances across the state. So first of all, I'm wondering, uh, Kirill, if you can tell a little bit uh, to our listenership, which is pretty general, about what Trans Day of Remembrance is and what it looks like to take an observance that we've been really lucky to have in New Haven for the past several years to take that across the state in an organized and intentional way. Yeah, definitely. Um, so Trans Day of Remembrance is observed not just in the United States, but um, around the world. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of different trans rights organizations, trans advocacy organizations, trans empowerment organizations around the world that um, have unfortunately, instead of, you know, just uplifting our community and just, um, you know, providing safe spaces, have been forced to keep a very sad record of the lives that are lost every single year to transphobic violence. Um, and Trans Day of Remembrance is a day that has been in existence for now, well, Carly, over, over 20 years at this point, right? It's the, yeah, over 20 years. Um, on November 20th, every single year around the world, we remember the lives that are lost to transphobic violence. Um, you know, some places will remember the names of people all around the world. Some places remember the names of people um, just in their own country. Um, it really varies from community to community, but um, it's a it's a sad day for our community. Um, I think it's especially sad that a lot of the time um, in in the broader populace, right? A lot of the time when people think of a day for trans people, they think of Trans Day of Remembrance. So they think of the day that we effectively have a funeral. Um, and to your point, right, about, about um, observing versus celebrating, um, I think that, right, there's a lot of different ways in which the, the tragedies that make Transgender Day of Remembrance a necessity are obscured by people just saying, oh, we should just celebrate trans lives. But at the same time, right, when somebody that we love dies, um, a lot of the time we talk about having a celebration of their life. And so I think that um, while we can't lose track of the tragedy and the injustice and the constant harm and violence that's done to our community, one of the best ways that we can observe Trans Day of Remembrance is by also remembering the resilience that exists within our community, within the people that are alive right now, 
who can honor the lives that we lost this year and can also make the world a better place for one another. Um, and that's kind of what we try to bring as a spirit of a trans-led, trans-day of remembrance across Connecticut. Um, to your other question in terms of the, the initiative that, that Peer Prize Trans Haven uh, programs have started, um, we're working on specifically assisting trans people who you know, are not in an LGBTQ nonprofit, are not necessarily organizers. Um, they're just trans people who want to hold space for trans community members in their city or in their town or in their geographical area to come together on November 20th. Um, and so we're helping out with the logistics of that. We're helping out with whatever people might need. Um, and it's very, it's, it's very exciting for me because we have a number of people who are in places that there hasn't been a Trans Day of Remembrance to their knowledge and they're hosting one for the first time. So that's very empowering to me. I don't know, Carly, if you have stuff to add. Yeah. Oh, I actually, I wanted to kick it, Carly, to you. Oh, and the kitty. Hi, kitty. Yeah, kitty's here. Um, amazing. Great. Um, so, so Carly, I'm wondering, you know, you and I had a discussion probably five or, or six weeks ago when we saw each other on the New Haven Green about where the state of Connecticut is right now. And, and one of the things that I know I've talked to both of you about this is people often will say to me in my work as a reporter, oh, you don't have anything to worry about in Connecticut. <laughs> Connecticut's a very blue state. Um, and, and we and parts of Connecticut, yes, are, are very blue, are very democratic, but I've always found it a much more purple state politically. And so Carly, I'm wondering if as we talk about these celebrations, sorry, not celebrations, observances, but also celebrations of life. Um well, for me, for me, it's as much a day of resistance as a day that's, of remembrance. That's right. And I'm wondering if you can situate us a little bit. In what we're looking at, so so nationwide, we know that this is going to be another record year of anti-trans legislation, of anti-trans violence, and that is especially targeting our trans youth, so trans children, teenagers, and adults. With um, I am not going to get in trouble with uh, the FCC, but with totally bogus bills that target things like sports teams and bathrooms. Well, and also curricula development in different schools across the country. And I'm wondering, Carly, if, if you can talk a little bit about some of the battles that we're fighting right here in Connecticut that folks may or may not be familiar with. Well, on the ground in Connecticut day to day is the fight to make sure that the human rights laws that were passed in 2011, especially pertaining to education, are followed by school districts are followed by individual schools. That is a struggle day to day, week to week, semester to semester, year to year. That has not changed. We also have a battle in regards to a housing crisis in this state that's affecting all the working class in Connecticut, but it's really hitting LGBTQ people the hardest and LGBTQ youth especially. Right now in Connecticut, four out of every 10 LGBTQ youth are either housing insecure or or dealing with houselessness right now. And that is according to the recent survey that was done in the last year that was co-sponsored by both the Triangle Community Center and the New Haven Pride Center. The We have hard numbers on this. Um, that, that same survey also noted that a third of LGBTQ nutmeggers have had to deal with some form of housing discrimination be it in trying to purchase a home or be in trying to rent an apartment. And I am one of that 32%. I, 
I have dealt with housing discrimination in this state. I have dealt with medical discrimination in this state. I've had to fire five doctors since moving here 24 years ago. And the, and the same reason is cultural incompetence, be it racial incompetence or be it gender identity incompetence. We have a number of battles in this state. And of course, right now, a certain group of right-wing character assassins called the Alliance Defending Freedom are still trying to mount their, their ridiculous lawsuit against the schools in this state. And had the vote gone the other way a couple days ago, we would have seen legislative action on the part of a certain Mr. Stefanowski towards supporting the ADF in that end. Thankfully, right. thankfully, the vote did not go that way. But even so, remember, the Connecticut Republican Party tried to de attempted to demonize two Connecticut teenagers for being trans and use that demonization to raise campaign cash. Yeah. And I will and I will just say that right now, I will never forgive the Connecticut Republican Party for that. Yeah. I will I will say that all day, every day. We still have fights to fight here. And we, fight yeah. to fight here. And and my attitude, we can look at everything else in the country. And we and we should. The 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 horrible situation in Florida, for example. But the best way that we can help Floridians and help Texans and help Alabamans and help Arkansans and help people across the country is we make sure that we get it right right here at home here in Connecticut because because right now as we speak there are there are four families that I know of who have fled states that have this that have the, these ridiculous laws that have been passed across the country who have come to Connecticut to seek a safe haven so that puts the impetus on us to keep this state safe and understand that we still have a lot of work to do. So no, don't get it twisted. Just because Connecticut is blue doesn't mean that it's safe for trans people. That's We're right. We're not there yet, but we can get there. But we've got that's, work to do. That's right. And I'm wondering for both of you, if you have heard um, attacks that take a certain tenor or tone um, so there's there's terminology that may seem on the surface pretty innocuous, like parental bill of rights, or I'm a parent and I just want to have more say over what my child is learning slash doing slash where they're going to the bathroom in school or things like that. And I have found as someone who is watching this legislation and, and these just folks making remarks, uh, to your point, Carly, one Mr. Stefanowski among them in Connecticut, um, that it sounds different than it did uh, five years ago, maybe even two, two or three years ago. Can you clarify the question a little bit? Like, are, like have we heard specific language used? Yeah, do you, do you find that there is a sort of a new terminology or a new language that is being used or, or being peddled to push through measures that are ultimately intended to disempower and control people. Oh, you're talking about the Orwellian language hustle. That's all. <laughs> That's right. Con conservatives and reactionaries have used that ad nauseum infinitum forever for whatever they're trying to sell. What parental bill of rights really means is we, we want to have our right to enforce the way you parent, to enforce the way you parent. That's what parental bill of rights really means. 
because when we're looking at people think, oh, you're giving you're empowering parents. No, you don't. You're telling parents of affirming children. We'll call you child abusers. That's what's mm -hmm. really happening. All these things, I mean, the bizarro world that reactionaries live in is a really strange place. And and they try and make these things sound so saccharine and pure when the fact of the matter is they're ugly. Because understand that the Parental Bill of Rights is not about the parents of a cisgender child. That's about saying we're going to ride down on the parents of a transgender child. That's what that really means. Mm -hmm. um, um, keeping our schools safe doesn't mean oh we're going keeping our schools safe for example and they say that oh we're just worried about safety in the school bathrooms what they're really saying is we're going to keep our schools safe by keeping those trans kids out of school right because you know, if that, we cared about what they're really saying right because if we cared about school safety you know what we would do we would ban guns in this country <laughs> <laughs> oh no but, but, oh, no, but we don't want to do that but you see that but going back to what you were talking about and what Kittle has been and what my comrade Kittle has talked about, when we talk about violence, see, in effect, Trans Day of Remembrance, yes, it is a funeral. But at the same time, it's not just about the physical violence. We also have, this is the time where we point out the economic violence, the social violence that we're seeing, the violence on our airwaves. When, when someone can go, when, when you have Tucker Carlson, Vi directly violating the F FCC mandates and throwing hate speech out to the world. When you have people going on, when you have people that ought to know better referring to say, for example, transgender women as biological males, that's misgendering if you're scoring at home. That's, that's hate speech. When you have a person who, who buys a social media vehicle in this country for $44 billion, and the first thing that they say is, now that I own it, I'm gonna let you misgender at will. I'm going to let you demean trans people at will. That's violence. And those are the and those are the things that not we need to be addressing in addition because in many ways our transgender are the people who have been affected by by violence just for being trans are not just those who are in the who who have who have been taken from us. There are those of us who literally have to be the walking numb and the walking dead every day just to keep our heads above water for economic violence, be it you can't find a place to live, be it you can't get it. I mean, for all this talk of Connecticut being a safe haven, um, unemployment among trans people in the state's running about 35 percent. That's about a national average. Now, if you're black and brown, add 15 percent to that. So right. we have to look at. Violence is not just physical. Violence is violence is social violence, and 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 we really got to talk about the economic violence because that is what we're really talking about when we talk about when we talk about people talking about things such as groomers and bathroom bills and taking health care away. That is a form of economic violence mm -hmm. because that's taking people out of the opportunity to provide for themselves, out of the opportunities for education, out of the opportunities for housing, out of the opportunities for employment. Yeah. We need to discuss that violence too. Yeah. So I actually, I actually think this dovetails with um, the observances that are now taking place pretty concurrently around the around the state on November 20th, which is Trans Day of Remembrance. So Kirill, I'm gonna uh, kick it back to you. And I'm wondering if you can talk about, there's also um, a map that Harry Droz, uh, who is the 
the man behind the magic at WNHH. Harry, if you could share that Facebook link that we dropped in the chat, if you've not already, I would really appreciate it. Thank you. But um, there is a map, which uh, is not, not a map. Not Okay. It, it, is, it is a map. It is just not a correct map. Um, but it's a map with words on it. It's it's very beautiful. It has the, the um, I almost said red, white, and blue, not red, white, and blue, the pink, white, and blue colors of trans pride around it. So it's, it's quite beautiful. It's on a black background. And it is outlining for the first time that I can remember in the state's history, correct me if I'm wrong, really a number of observances in New Haven and Hartford, Waterbury, Middletown, Danbury, Torrington, Avon, Willimantic, that are are all taking place on November 20th. And I was very moved. Like I felt a little bit verklempt um, when I pulled this image up. So I'm wondering if, if you can talk um, about you know, having those observances across the state, um, the planning that's gone into it, and also, you know, what it means, especially for um, for towns in the state that that maybe have not been able to hold this space before. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think for me personally, I, and I can't really speak for every single person who's been involved in the planning of this because I, I was like, I was feeling feelings this morning. So I posted on like my little Instagram and I was trying to thank every single person who took a part in this. And I like, I couldn't fit everybody like into my brainium. Um, so I was like, Oh God, I forgot to tag this person. I forgot to tag that person. Um, this, this entire experience uh, organizing actually brought me back to the very first trans day remembrance that I ever helped organize, which was in new Haven only. And um what what made it similar was I was talking to some people at Yale who are some fantastic people who were uh, working and going to school at Yale at the time and we were like why is there why, why is there like all these separate little like vigils around New Haven why can't we work together as trans people to have a unified effort and that was how the New Haven Trans Day of Remembrance like a united you know, citywide New Haven Trans Day Remembrance started was like this desire that we had to bring trans people together, you know, from the university, from around the city of New Haven, to have something that's centralized. Um, and I felt very similar talking to trans people from across the state who are all interested in hosting something in their own cities. Um, because I think one of the things um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go suicidologist on y'all for two seconds. Uh, one of the things that we see all the time in our community, right? Like Carly was describing, there's a lot of different ways to kill a trans person, and one of the biggest ways to kill a trans person is by making us feel like we're alone. Um, that's what all those bills are doing. That's what every single act of discrimination and violence does is to try to grind in this idea that we are alone or that we should be grateful for any crumbs that are thrown to us by people who want to study us or who want to, you know, provide a service to us in something that's larger, that's not specific for trans people. And one of the biggest ways that we found that we can build resilience and build ways that we can lift each other up and survive better is by creating spaces by and for trans people. And I think for all of us um, who have been organizing this, um, it's been very moving because the very act of doing this statewide 
as a group, especially of a lot of trans people who have never organized anything before, um, you know, for some of us, uh, is, is just a reminder that we can do the opposite of what people are trying to do to us. We can come together. We can make something that's by and for trans people. We can connect with each other across the state. Um, and that's been really fantastic. Um, I've, you know, I've seen, you know, we were talking about youth, a lot of the key organizers of some of the events that are happening in specifically in areas where there hasn't been a Trans Day of Remembrance before are high school students um, or people who just graduated high school, very young people um, who have so much energy and have so much understanding of what their places is in the world. Um, it's It's been really fantastic to be a part of that um, and just to provide support however we can. Um, yeah, you know, I think I think the other thing that I'll add is um, one of the things that's coming up for me and one of the things that's coming up for a lot of people who are involved in organizing around this is thinking about all the different things that we've needed to survive within our own lives, right? How, how are we going to feel when we're talking about the people that aren't with us anymore? How many names are there that we don't know about? Right. When Carly was talking about the people who responded to the Connecticut survey about discriminatory treatment that they've experienced, statistically, some of the most marginalized people don't ever respond to any of those online surveys. You know, whether it's the, the, the U.S. trans survey that happens every few years, whether it's the thing that happened in Connecticut, some of the people that experience the most adversity don't even ever find out about those things because it requires being somewhat at least a little bit publicly trans to be able to access those things and to notify them. Um, and, you know, a lot of the time when we connect with people, when people find trans community for the first time, when people, um, you know, just find trans friends for the first time that they can go on a hike with or that they can like sit and talk to, um, that's one of the first things that comes up is like feeling isolated and making like people making you feel isolated. Um, and I can speak, you know, I can speak for hours to different stories that we've had in Connecticut about different things that people have had to survive here in the state and different types of discrimination and, you know, mistreatment that people face that people share with us every single day. Um, this is not, you know, this is not a safe state for trans people. Mm -hmm. This is just a state that's slightly less unsafe than other places because other places are being very egregious and open with their transphobia. Um, but, you know, like just recently, I was supporting somebody in finding housing who was experiencing domestic violence, who was denied affordable housing because his birth certificate didn't match his ID. Um, first off, that's the first time I ever heard of anybody asking somebody for a birth certificate when applying for housing. Um, but you know, this is in Connecticut. And this is this is the type of thing that happens all the time. And I think that when we're when we're in a state where we are taught to identify as lucky to be here. A lot of the time we feel embarrassed to share the bad things that happen to us because like, oh, we should be grateful that we're not in Texas. We should be grateful that we're not in Florida or this other place or whatever. But it's very important for us to survive and for us to uplift one another. And by connecting as trans people in spaces by and for trans people, we're able to share the things that we've had to survive and share ways that we can help each other survive better. Yeah. And and I'm wondering, you know, either of you feel free to jump in, but 
Um, so we hear this term, and I think it really has entered the modern lexicon and, and is now like even a buzzword, which I don't know if that's a good thing, but, the, but of course the term chosen family. And so I'm wondering for both of you, you know, we are also, I, I don't want to say we're post-pandemic because COVID is still with us, but we're at a different point in the pandemic than we were last year and certainly two years ago. Um, but I'm, I'm wondering for both of you how you have seen um, yourselves and also other folks building community around this, because I, I think it is like organizing is a very powerful space to build community, as we've talked about before. It can also be a divisive space, right? Um, and, and that's complicated. And uh, folks who have been and are historically oppressed sometimes can practice politics of, of oppression too. But I want to focus on, you know, building community and, and building family within this organizing effort. Carly, you want to go? Do you have I'll any chosen ahead. family stories? I, actually, actually, I've got two because it ended up two quick ones because it it goes it goes perfectly what you're talking about. I mean, the the first set of chosen family that I found was actually at a T-door, was actually at an observance. It was at a vigil. And in many ways, I am, I'm at the place where I am now in having community and having people and having support because I showed up at the vigil in 2016 just on my own. And it was on the New Haven Green. And it was a drizzly day, a lot like the day is today. And at that point, I had realized that, you know, in, in trans people's parlance, the egg is cracked. And I'm looking to move forward, and I want to move forward, and I have been I have been laying the the groundwork for doing it. And what one of the things that shoved me out of the closet door was happened two weeks before T door in 2016, and that was Donald Trump's election. And at that point, uh, at that point, I was like, no, you might as well do you might as well do it now. If we're going to go down, let's go down swinging. So I went to the I went to the the observance. It was on the green. And first off. I saw, I real, I truly saw not only people in community, but people in community who, who are scared as I was, but also people in this community who were willing to say, I'm not going to let, I'm not going to let bigotry take away what's mine, take away my truth, take away my opportunity to be strong and stand in that truth. And it was something to see. And along the way, Afterwards, there was a little reception afterwards where I have, where I was meeting other people and I was meeting people, other people, other trans people like me and having a chance to talk to them. And one of them was this rather intimidating figure wearing all black who walked right past me as I was talking to somebody. And then this person later we met face to face. That person is someone who is in who is in this forum today, and that person is my comrade Kirill. Because of Kirill, because of meeting him and meeting other people, I not only found even more community, I also found community to fight back. I found community in our in our local branch of the party for socialism and liberation, which gave us which gave me a space not only to also have community but community but a political home and, and an opportunity to fight back and resist because it wasn't just enough 
to trans for me my transition at that time i saw it as an act of resistance and then i had the praxis and the knowledge to go along with that spirit and that became more chosen family and then because of that impetus of just being there and meeting more people and being more interconnected and meeting more people when when COVID hit i was living alone but i had two close friends who had an apartment and said hey why don't you come live with us and that's what and those are the rooms i've been living with ever since and we live in our little and we live in a nice little trans queer fortress and that's one thing that i hope to see from all these vigils i i i want to i want to point out two things if you're trans listening i want you to do two things do two things for carly if the if one come to the one come to all these vigils wherever you wherever you are they're all over the state find one but also come with the impetus of that i'm that even if i come alone and i'm going to leave alone or even if it's just getting email addresses and phone numbers make that make that pledge to do that and for those who and for those who are in a sense farther along the journey I want you to bring an egg. I want you to find if you know of somebody who's who's never been who's never had the chance to walk out in their truth. If they're ready and if they give you consent, invite them. Make sure that no one, if possible, make sure no one comes alone, and if possible, make sure no one leaves alone, so that no one walks alone. Let's use this opportunity, even in this sad, somber time, because it is. We are, let's make sure that even though, let's make sure that no one gets left behind and make sure that we walk away with a spirit of resistance and a spirit of community because we're going to need it for what's to come. And also just to note, yeah, we may not be in Texas or Florida, but if we don't continue to fight, to organize and to work, we could wake up one morning and find ourselves just like Ron DeSantis is Florida or Greg Abbott's Texas. Mm -hmm. And I don't want that here. I can't live if that comes here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Kirill, were you going to hop in? Oh, I don't know. Um, I think Carly said a lot. Um, that was very sweet. Um, I feel the same way about Carly every single day. I'm like, oh, my God, I, I don't know how I how I follow a powerhouse like that. And that's like <laughs> case in point. Oh, no, no, um, you, need to, you need to stop. You're the powerhouse. You need to stop. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a silly goose, but, um, I can think, you, I think, can you both be the power? Like, I, yes, we can be power. I just, just want to establish that both and can exist <laughs> yes, okay. community, but I think so in terms many. of chosen, chosen family, right. Um, for me personally, and something that a lot of trans people reflect on is we have a hard time surviving, a lot because our own perception of ourselves gets skewed when you're surrounded by hate, right? When you're surrounded by, and when I say hate, I also mean misinformation. I also mean um, the quiet and gentle forms of hate, like what um, Connecticut Medicaid just tried to do this year, uh, where they very quietly changed the requirements for um, a lot of gender affirming care to be for example, top surgery only for adults, adding a bunch of requirements, using words like irreversible damage, um, 
things that you see mirrored in a lot of these reactionary states, right? Those quiet types of soft hate that surround us all the time, that we see all the time, and that make us question, right? Do we deserve to be treated like human beings? Do we deserve to walk in our truth? Do we deserve to be seen for who we are and to be respected? Um, when you see, when you have enough of that input, you start doubting yourself, even if you don't notice it because you're surrounded by these twisted, skewed mirrors. And for me, um, trans community, chosen family, right? My, my trans family, my, my trans community. Um, and the, the, I'm not cisphobic. I have some cis friends too, who are really, really supportive. Um, are the people that offer me an honest mirror and a reminder that I deserve dignity, that I deserve respect, that I deserve joy, that um, I don't, I'm not seeing myself wrong, that I'm not mistaken in believing that I deserve to be treated well, that I'm not wrong to recognize when something bad is happening, that it's bad. Um, you know, something that, something that sticks with me a lot is a lot of us who do work within the trans community to uplift our people, um, if we do it long enough, Carly, right? We get pushed back and we get told that we're too radical. We get told that we're making people uncomfortable. We get told that we're, uh, you know, alienating allies or whatever. Oh, good. Um, right, all of that language. All the time. <laughs> right, and I had an experience like that, uh, you know, earlier this year where somebody, you know, somebody used some very harsh language towards me after I, you know, pointed out some, that some things were transphobic and it put me in a really bad headspace where I started believing that I was a bad person for, you know, trying to advocate for trans people. And somebody in my chosen family told me, you know, I don't know how he figured it out, but like he knew what was happening in my head. He was like, you are not a bad person. You are not an abusive person. You, you deserve to take up that space. And if you were a cis man, nobody would ever accuse you of anything like that. If you were a white cis man, nobody would ever accuse you of anything like that. And um, that, you know, that, that resonated with me. And that's something I wrote it down and I pinned it to my wall and I carry that with me. And I think chosen family is the family that gives us reminders of what we deserve and act as honest mirrors to us and to help us see ourselves for what we really are and what we really deserve. I think that's true. So, you know, if, if folks are listening, first of all, this is uh, Arts Respond on WNHHLP 103.5 FM New Haven. I'm your host, Lucy Gelman, and today I am here with Curiel Stacklow and Carly Chardonnay-Webb. We are talking about statewide observances of TDOR. TDOR stands for Trans Day of Remembrance. If you don't know, now you know. Um, so uh, I, I want to know, you know, if, if folks are listening to this, and I hope somewhere out there they are, and they think, wow, I've either never been to a TDOR observance, or maybe I have, and this sounds like um, a place where I would feel welcome and a place where I need to grieve with other like-minded folks. How can they find out more information about Peer Pride and about these events specifically? Yeah, um, people can find us. Peerpride.com is our website. Um, our Connecticut-specific programs uh, that are by and for trans people are called Trans Haven. It's all on our website. Uh, you can also find all of the events that um, we're hosting or co-hosting for Trans Day of Remembrance on Facebook and Instagram. Um, so that those links, I think, have already been dropped, right? Um, 
for for the Facebook for for Peer Pride and all that stuff is there. Um, and we really, really encourage people to reach out, right? Especially if you're a trans person, if you're looking for trans community, if you want to make some trans friends, if you want to do stuff, if you need resources, whatever, like literally reach out to us directly. Somebody will hit you back up. We're a very small organization that's run by and for trans people. We're the only 100% trans run direct service organization in Connecticut. Um, and we really want to hear from people. So if you're trans and you want friends or support or a resource, or you have questions about one of the Trans Days of Remembrance events, our DMs are open, our email is open. We communicate a lot. And that also, I'd also second that. I mean, Trans Haven is something, is a resource that's for us, by us, and it's here. And it's, and, and it's here. And to those out there who may be wondering, it's your resource reach out to it, reach out to it and be a part of it but also where you but also no matter where you are reach out to each other don't be afraid to reach out to each other and that's and that's another an, another carly initiative i want to see people doing one see people doing is truly reach out for example i have a little thing called use your transportation to help liberation for because one of the biggest things that i find in trans communities especially here in our state is that a lot of people have a hard time getting to things because they don't have the means to get to them. Be it the support group, be it to get, be it to see, to see your doctor, be it, which is a whole nother issue in itself, or be it just to get to the job interview because they don't have the means to get there and mass transit can be hit and miss in the state as we know. But yeah. for those, hey, but for those of us who may have vehicles, you know what, reach out and say, Hey, I got, Hey, I got you fam i got you i'll take you mm -hmm. to that hey i'll i'll block off time to take you to that appointment or to take you to run to the store and get some things you may need may need or you know what or i know oh you just came out congratulations you need some affirming need some affirming garments i got some you don't mm -hmm. have any shoes i got some i got some we have you that's the one thing you i mean start where you are use what you have do what you can and that i love that's that more and more i mean that's not me it's arthur ash but it's the same idea is that arthur ash always said it best that that start where you are use what you have do what you can and that's one thing i want to see from all this organizing that kittle has been has really been spearheading and everybody's been i'm and everybody else has been following by following along with it but i want to see it what I'd like to see, especially in this time that we're going into right now, and with the ugliness we've, the, even though in terms of physical violence, this year didn't have as many fatalities as last year, and that we know what. But the level of violence, of systemic, mm. institutional, and economic violence That's right. has sharply increased. The mm -hmm. level of anti-trans sentiment in our media has gone to a place I it, it yeah. is gone it's it's gone way beyond the pale because of a number of things that have happened in this in in 20 2022 to me and at least in in a different sense in terms of media especially it was a, it was an even uglier year than 2021 and 2021 was horrible and but I, I want to say oh sorry I'm, I want to say also um not 
only because I've had this discussion with with folks. I think some sometimes people say, well, the conservative media, but it's not the conservative. And and when people just say the media writ large, sometimes I'm like, yo, I'm part of it, your favorite local reporter. Um, but it's true that it is not just conservative media, however we think of that. Um, even I, I remember a quibble I had with a local editor who will remain nameless over even using the term pregnant people instead of women in his reporting. And, and so, Carly, to your point, yes, I, I think that's correct. I'll get here's the, here's the ultimate example of how messed up it is. Remember, you had cisgender people losing their dang mind because a trans person won on a game show. Come on. A game show? A, a really you can't win game? on game shows, Carly. <laughs> I mean, no, but that shows how far. I mean, you have people actually getting you have people actually getting their transphobia on because Amy Schneider was cleaning up on Jeopardy. This is how bad it's gotten. It's it, it's people. The mask have come off for a lot of people. And and it, no, it's not just the conservative media, even though the conservative running gun media has no love, but the mainstream media, the mainstream media, my biggest indictment with the with the legacy quote mainstream media is the fact that they are is is the fact that what is, you know, one of the most unreported stories this year is all these bills. Mm -hmm. All the, all these bills, you mean to tell me 300 pieces of legislation in 38 states are being are being pushed through and are being Talk pushed through it. and and you can't and cnn can't give us any airtime that the nbc nightly news gives us no air gives us no airtime brad pitt's court case gets brad pitt's court case gets more airtime or whatever the kardashians are doing gets more airtime on a major network newscast than the fact that than in the fact that across this country the lives of transgender youth hang in the balance Mm -hmm. this, this systemic violence is happening. But then again, what do we expect? I mean, remember, mass, mass shooting, what do we give? Thoughts and prayers. No, we can't even get that. Think about that. Yeah. That's and right. it's in, I mean, we honestly, I, there are days when I think that, <laughs> I, there are days when I think that the quintessential <laughs> cisgender, cisgender sentence for cisgender Americans is screw trans people. Because I'm seeing the way I'm seeing the level of indifference out there, and indifference in itself is a form of violence. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I yeah. was I was muted. I I said say it on mute, which is like its own metaphor for 2022. <laughs> I think, um, but but I wanted to ask both of you, you know, in our last like eight or nine minutes together, also how you are caring for for yourselves in this landscape and and maybe part of that is building chosen family but um but how are you both taking care of yourselves and and finding joy in your own lives hmm. i can go and then carly probably has a cooler answer um i uh i think that one of the things that um is weird is how much we hear people reducing like self-care and self-respect to cutting off community Right. Like you often see this stuff about like, oh, I don't owe you my emotional labor, but like you're talking about like supporting a friend um, or like I don't I don't owe you this or I don't owe you that. It's this very individualistic approach. 
Um, so I very much, I, I very much try to avoid that. I take a lot of joy and I take a lot of, um, you know, resilience uh, from being in community with people, from being able to be a resource and also like asking for support from others. Um, that's something that we have to learn how to do as members of, you know, a marginalized community and especially as people who experience multiple forms of marginalization. Um, so just like, how do we take care of ourselves? Reach out, like Carly said, to people, reach out to the people that you trust, identify who is in your corner, identify who is your squad, right? Who is your chosen family? And a lot of time we hear like, oh, I don't want to inconvenience my friend. They already have their own stuff going on, especially if you share like experiences. Um, I will tell you, your friend wants to hear from you. A lot of the time, right? Like if you remember, um, you know, a time when you've had stuff going on, but then somebody reached out to you and was like, hey, I have this thing going on. And you're like, oh, thank God, I can help them with their thing so I don't have to think about mine. Like that is probably how your friend feels. So please just like, don't feel ashamed to reach out to your friends. It's a great thing. I really enjoy supporting people and I really enjoy being supported by people. I think it's wonderful. Um, other stuff though, on the flip side is being out as trans has taught me that, um, it's taught me to have much better boundaries and it's taught me to have a lot more self-respect and it's taught me to see disrespect and, um, you know, like negative attitudes when, when they're happening and not like wonder if I deserve it or not. Um, there's something that comes with being out. That's a form of clarity. It's a form of autonomy. It's a form of self-actualization that makes you respect yourself a little bit more. And it's taught me to, you know, not, not make room for people who don't treat me well. Um, and that's a big part of, that. that's a really big part of self-care and that's a really big part of resilience. And that's something that frees me up to be there for the people in my community who need me. Um, and you can do that on any scale, right? Like, so, you know, you don't, you don't necessarily owe it to somebody who's, who's harming you. Um, and that, that's something to say on, on a society level, right? When we're talking about like, you know, strikes, right? When we're talking about labor organizing, when we're talking about mass organizing by marginalized communities, but we can also say that on an individual level, right? If somebody's transphobic towards you, if somebody doesn't treat you well, um, you don't need to make space in your life for that person. You can, you can try to take better care of yourself by, um, you know, by surrounding yourself with people who do show you care and respect. Carly, bring us out. No, my answer is the same. My answer is the same as his is I, I do a little bit of spoken word here and there. And on one particular poem, I have a line that says, there's no more hiding me away in fear. My life got better when it got queer. And, that and being in that community, that's been my self-care. I mean, I, I, and that to me, it's the best self-care. Just being in that, just being in a space around other people who, who truly understand where your experience is coming from. You, you, draw you can draw power and strength off of each other and fortify the group. And yes, there is what Kittle is, talk what is talking about, and it's so true, especially among trans people. I mean, trans, I mean, all of us at one time or another said, I don't wanna be a burden on anyone. I catch myself saying that too. And I need people to remind me and tell me that, no, 
you are strong and you're not a burden. Let me define what my capacity is. But right now I define my capacity and I give you a piece of that because you need it because I know it's going to balance out. And I think that's been my, my self-care has been more in community than anything else in reaching out and reaching out in a sense the same way that so many people reached out to me because I didn't get here by myself. Yeah. It took a lot of people mm. and I may not be able to pay them back, but I can sure as heck pay it forward. Yes. On, on those words, I just, I, I want to thank you both so much. This has been a, a beautiful discussion, a discussion I feel like I could probably continue for four or five hours and not be totally done with. If you have been out there listening in the Facebook or Zoom or whatever universe, and you think this sounds really cool, great, you should. Um, if you want to find out more, go to facebook.com forward slash peer pride. That's one word or peerpride.com forward slash transhaven forward slash. Um, Kirill Stacklow and Carly Chardonnay Webb, I want to thank you both so much for spending this hour here with me. It has made my Friday a lot brighter, um, and I hope to see you both very soon. Yeah, thank you so much, Lucy. This is so you. important. You, Everything you do is a ray of sunshine. Oh, oh yes. Well, you are both a ray of sunshine in my life. So thank you. This is no, like it's Lucy. supposed to be a heart. But <laughs> no, thank no, Lucy, seriously, thank you for what you do. Because mm -hmm. you're one of the people in the press who gets this right. I'm trying. Exactly. Keep doing yep. it. Please. Yeah. We need yeah. you. Well, thank you. And for y'all out there, if I'm doing something you don't like, call me in because that is part of this. And both of you are beautiful humans who I think at one point or another have probably called me in. So thank you. Um, Harry Droz, the man behind the controls. Thank you so much. Everyone have a beautiful weekend. Thank you all. Take care. Bye everybody.